You're listening to the Harborside Church Podcast. To connect with us online, go to www.harborside.org. We hope you enjoy this message. Hi, everybody. Um, So we're going to be reading from James chapter 1 today, beginning at verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at their face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, They will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and the widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Good morning, everybody. How you doing? Fantastic. We're gonna we're gonna try this mic again, James. I might just get that just in case as a spare. Oh, thank you. Okay, I'll just turn it off and see how we go. Gremlins in the system—they're sticking around, but we're gonna persevere. Good to see everybody. It's a church day. I love that. Go, little Henry. It's a church day. It's so good to be here. It's great to be reminded, isn't it, about why we're here. This is an amazing church, and if you're new, new newish, been here for a little while, whatever it is, it's great to have you. We are excited about what it could look like for more people to be part of this great community. God is sewing together by His grace. Well, we've got an exciting morning ahead. There is something I do need to tell you that is just maybe not really exciting on the surface, okay? Can you bear with me for one minute? I'm going to preach, I'm going to pray, and after that, we're going to do something together. We are going to do a survey. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. Very sexy. Um, we're going to do a survey. It's called the NCLS, the National Church Life Survey. Churches are asked to do it once every five years. Okay, so it is not often, and we're going to do it together. Everyone serving out the back has already got a QR code for them to do it. Can I encourage you, please don't leave after the service. Please fill it out. Denominations and churches need this info. It's really helpful for us to see how we're going as a church. How healthy are we? Um, if, if you're viewing online, uh, when the time is right, when we'll be doing this, the, the survey together, you'll get a QR code. Please fill it in. Don't, don't head off. It really is important. So it takes about 15 minutes, okay? We've factored it into the service. Shorter service, shorter sermon, I promise. Yes, yeah, seriously, we'll see. But don't time the sermon starting now, okay? <laughs> Not yet. Um, 
So we're going to do it together, okay? Leslie's spent a lot of time putting goodies together in the bag as well to get you through it. It's only 15 and 20 minutes. It's really, I'll give you more information when I finish speaking, but please stick around. It is really important. Once every five years, we can do this. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Okay, fantastic. Well, we are in our second week of our new-ish series, James, titled Faith in Action. We're spending this term in this little New Testament letter of James, Faith in Action. Great series so far, week two. I wonder how many of us here actually know that we're a Baptist church? How many? It's not in the name, right? It's Harborside Church. We are a Baptist church. Does everyone know? Well, now you all know we are a Baptist church, proudly a Baptist church. I wonder if you know, or I wonder if, if, I, if you could name the most famous Baptist church in the world. Not super stoked to be sharing that name with these folks. I wonder if you know of the Westboro Baptist Church. If you do, you'll immediately know what I'm talking about. If you don't, they're a church based in Kansas in the US. They really punch above their weight in terms of influence. There's only about 40 or so members, most of them related. And uh, <clears throat> just, just saying facts here. And uh, they have had an enormous impact around the world. Uh, an impact, unfortunately, of hatred, Whisperer Baptist Church. Their main aim in life is to protest. They love to protest. They're, they're proud to say 365 days a year, that's what they do. They protest. They hold up signs saying incredibly hateful things, speaking they think for God. They'll picket any event, political event, rock concerts, even funerals of fallen soldiers to get their message of hatred across. Recently, um, Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters, if you haven't heard of them, they're one of the biggest rock bands in the world. Pretty cool. Uh, the Foo Fighters, he heard they were protesting his concert in their home state in Kansas, and he decided to do something fun. He, uh, you can Google this if you want to. He organized a flatbed truck, got a, a band, power and all that, got a band on the truck, and he played, he was singing and playing in a band, driving around these folks as they were protesting outside his concert venue. Pretty hilarious, I'd have to say. And believe it or not, they were playing the Bee Gees. He, maybe he's a fan of the Bee Gees. I think it was this. He's, he, his idea was, you shouldn't be hating, you should be dancing, right? You should be dancing. That's what they were playing as they were driving around these protesters. Now, it's pretty funny. But during a break in the music, the, the truck sort of comes to a stop in front of these protesters, and Dave starts speaking to them. And he, he says, why do you hate me? I don't hate you. Why do you hate me? Shouldn't we be loving each other? Shouldn't you be loving people? Shouldn't you, who call yourselves Christians, shouldn't you be loving people? Isn't that what you're all about? Fascinating. You can check it out. Now, Dave Grohl might be one of the nicest guys in rock music, in rock and roll, but I'm pretty sure he's not a Christian. I'm not certain, but I'm pretty sure he's not. But it's not hard for him to see the disconnect, is it? It's not, not hard. Shouldn't you guys be about love over hate? How does their message of God hates fill in the blank? That's what their signs like, God hates whatever. How does that message line up with Jesus' teaching? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Love your neighbor. 
See, we, a lot of Christians kind of decry the fact that biblical literacy in our culture is waning, that people don't know much about the Bible anymore. But I tell you what, people seem to know this. They seem to know that Christians should be on about love. And they struggle when Christians, they see Christians live, speak, act in the opposite way. It's hard to blame them. It's what we talked about last week. One author says, it's what an unbelieving world finds so unbelievable. This lines up with research that our own country has done. We talked about this a little bit last week, but we didn't talk about this. A staggering 74%, just going to get rid of this, 74% of people believe that God exists in our country. 43% of Australians believe Jesus rose from the dead. Does that shock you? It shocked me. Where are these people? Where are these 43%? They are not represented in our churches. If 43% of Mossmen were in churches, we'd be talking about 15,000 people. Where are they? The top three reasons people struggle to go to church. We looked at this last week. Top three faith blockers are this. Church abuse, judgmentalism, hypocrisy. And we get that, don't we? We get it. We get it. I'm pretty sure we can relate to that. Maybe you yourself have got a story. Maybe you've got a story of how you've just struggled to love the church, how you've struggled to be part of the church. I get it. But here's the thing. People like Westboro Baptist Church, they're an easy target, aren't they? They're an easy target. They're so out there. It would be easier for for us to say they're the problem. I mean, come on. We all know they're not living in line with what Jesus teaches. We know that. It'd be so easy for us to say they're the problem. I don't think Australians cite Westboro Baptist Church as the reason that they struggle with church in Australia. Would you? I don't think so. Let me say something tough. We're part of the problem. We're part of the problem too. Here's the insidious thing, right? The minute we think we're not part of the problem, we've lost the battle. Pride has triumphed over humility. Faith in action. A genuine faith. It's what God desires for our lives. It's what James is on about, right? It's what we're hammering about this series. And funnily enough, it's the biggest attractor for people outside the church, Christians living out a genuine faith. So what has James got to say on the topic of living out our faith, faith on the ground this week? Last week, we looked at faith on the ground when it comes to suffering. How do Christians deal with facing trials in our everyday life? This week, listening and doing a genuine faith on the ground, faith applied, listens and does. Let's look at the first verse we read together from the passage James read so well from from James. Here we go. Let's have a look together. Let's dive in. What has God got to teach you, me, us as a church? My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Let's just stop there. What a mantra for life. I feel like I should have this in bold in every room of my house. Forget just on the fridge. 
should be everywhere. Before I pick up the phone, before I send an email, can we just say maybe before Christians interact online, we should read this? Yeah? Quick to listen, slow to type. This is good advice for everybody, isn't it? Good advice for everybody. But James is saying this particularly for Christians, right? This is a letter written to God's people. This is particularly for Christians. This is how we live out our faith. A friend of mine this week, we were talking about it, and he said, oh, my mom always used to say, you got two ears and one mouth for a reason. Did your mom dad say or dad say that your grandparents? Yeah, listen twice as much as you speak. It's probably where it came from. Followers of Jesus, we're going to aim to listen more than we speak. And could it be, I don't think this is a big stretch, could it be that if we aim to do this, it will slow down our anger? There's a reason these words are in the same sentence. Maybe, maybe just too often our, our cause of anger is just not listening to it, the other person. Not taking time to hear their side of the story, assuming negative motivations about the other person. And when we do that, of course, our anger builds. You know, research has been done around this. Uh, did you know that we are almost certainly likely to assume a negative reason for someone else's mistake, for someone else's fault, but a positive ones for ourselves given the same situation? Right, give me, I'll give you an example. You're at a meeting, but the person you are sharing that meeting with is not there yet. You're on time, they're late. I'll speak for myself here, right? There I am waiting for someone to turn up. It's getting later and I'm growing more annoyed. I'm assu- you know, I guess being on time is a bit of a value for me. And I'm assuming as I'm waiting, they don't care. They don't care about my time. How, how could they be so rude? right? How could they be so thoughtless, so disrespectful, they do not care about my time? Now, maybe there are genuine good reasons why they're late. But I don't immediately think about them. But I tell you what, if I'm running late to a meeting, oh, they'll understand. They'll understand. Traffic was terrible. Somebody held me up. The babysitter was late. Tell you what, if I took the time to hear why the person was running late, maybe my anger would subside, my empathy would grow, less judgment, more grace. Is this what Jesus talked about, meant when he talked about loving your neighbor as yourself? And here's the thing about anger. Look at the rest of this verse here. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Why? Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Here's the problem with our anger. Human anger, here's the problem. I think it assumes a lot. Often it assumes a lot. It's uncontrolled. It acts too quickly. We can call it a temper. And it leads to thoughtless, harmful, irretrievable words so often, doesn't it? We're going to talk a lot more about this when we hit chapter 3, in Taming the Tongue, okay? I'm not going to talk too much about that, but not all anger is wrong, though. Interesting what James says here about human anger. Now, you're not off the hook so easy, okay? 
But not all anger is wrong. Jesus got angry. He made a whip out of cords, premeditated. He made a whip out of cords and he cleared the temple. He got angry with his disciples because they stopped the little children coming to him. He got angry with religious leaders because they heaped burdens upon people. They were supposed to be caring for them and they were burdening them. He got angry. Oh, yeah. He got angry. You see, human anger usually springs from an inflated view of self. How could they do that to me? God's righteous anger springs from an inflated view of others. It comes from a place of love, of justice, you see? Human anger, God's righteous anger, big difference. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Here we've got a classic, get rid of something, receive another. Bible's full of these. Get rid of something, junk, something terrible, replace it with something good. Get rid of human anger, right? All the junk that's going to choke our spiritual health, our spiritual lives, receive something far better. The Word of God. Receive it. Cultivate it. Make the soil of your heart where God's planted the seed of the gospel good. You see, God... He plants the saving message in our hearts and we partner with him in helping it grow, right? Listening more, talking less, watching our anger. This is putting into practice the word of God. This is practicing humility. This is spiritual maturity. I get asked this all the time, how do we change? How do we grow? How do we change? How do we get rid of the rubbish of this world? Because it's not hard to get covered with moral filth, right? Because It's everywhere. It's not hard. How do we do it? We put off one thing, we replace it with something better. We put off one thing, we replace it with the goodness of God. So as Christians thinking about the Word of God, (laughs) we're not done with it after we're saved. We're not done with the gospel, the good news of, of Christ after we're saved. It becomes permanent a part of us, an inseparable part of the Christian, commanding and guiding presence within us, partnering with the Holy Spirit as the Word takes hold in our lives. This is what we mean when we're talking about becoming good soil so that the seed planted by God has the best conditions to grow. I love how Eugene Peterson puts it in his translation of the New Testament called The Message. He says this, So throw all spoiled virtue and cancerous evil in the garbage. In simple humility, let our gardener God landscape you with the word, making a salvation garden of your life. I love that picture. This is growing in spiritual maturity. Okay, all right, but I thought this series was all about getting practical. Let's do it. What does that look like? What does it look like? What does it look like? Well, one of our problems, we've looked at it, right? We are slow to listen. Another one of our problems is listening only. What? Let's have a think about that. Cultivating the Word of God in our lives means doing what it says. (laughs) This is not difficult to grasp, right? One translation has verse 22 like this, be doers of the Word. Be doers of the Word. I feel like I could just get up and say, good morning, be doers of the Word. 
Let's pray. Because it's not complicated. Be doers of the word. Yes, everyone should listen more regarding how we interact with others. But when it comes to reading God's word, listening to God's word, passivity should not be our state, right? Let's dive into this. You just read the word, just listen to the word. You are, James says, deceiving yourself. It's a big word, deceiving yourself. And James uses an illustration of looking in a mirror, doesn't he? Right? If you do that, you read the Bible, you don't do what it says. It's like looking in the mirror, looking for a little bit, walking away, forgetting what you look like. What was the point in looking in the mirror in the first place? Waste of time. Now, let me ask you a question. Why do we use mirrors? Why do we use them? Now, if you're a guy, don't be tempted to think, well, I barely use it. My wife uses it. No, like, we all use them. Why do we use them? I think part of the reason is they show us what we can't see on our own, right? They show us what's wrong. They show us what we need to correct about our appearance. Didn't see that there. Glad I glanced in the mirror. Most times when Pip and I go out to eat, um, especially, you know, well, even if it's just us two, but especially if we're in a group, we've eaten something, you always see us look at each other and go, do I have anything in my teeth? 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 Right? And we just, we look for each other. We're looking out for each other. Shame on you if you see something in people's teeth and you don't tell them. The Bible's pretty clear on that. No, it's not. But that is me. We're always doing that. Oh, gosh. Whoops. Thank you. Thank you. And you should, oh, sorry. Have I got it? No. Oh, God. All right. Now, imagine. Imagine looking in the mirror, seeing a huge bit of pester right there front and center, like this dude, right? Front and center. Okay. I don't know who he is. I Googled him. I don't know. Maybe you know him. You can let him know. Imagine, seriously, looking in the mirror, seeing this huge bit of pesto right there, and then walking away and doing nothing about it. It's stupid, right? What was the point of looking in the mirror? We'll get rid of that guy. He's distracting me. What was the point? I was chatting with a friend of mine a little while ago about this. He works in change management. Maybe some of you do this in your jobs. He was sharing one of the key steps, one of the first things you've got to do to implement change in a company organization is define reality. You've got to help people see the current reality of the situation. Helping people often see just how bad the situation is and how essential change is. Otherwise, people won't be motivated to change, right? Makes sense? Now, often people don't want to accept how bad things are because it's painful. We don't want to know. It's where the term burying your head in the sand comes from. And people will often attack my friend when he brings hard truths to boards or whatever. But he says, you know what I'm doing? I'm just holding up a mirror. I'm not making this stuff up. I'm here to define reality, to hold up a mirror. The problem is people don't like looking into it. They don't like what they see. You see, the Word of God God's word, it's not like any other book. It's not. Hebrews 4 says it's alive, it's living and active. We don't read it, it reads us. See, God through his word changes us. Doesn't always feel good. So what? The great physician, Jesus Christ himself, does surgery on us when the word of God reads us. He points out the big bits of pesto in our lives. 
We're just going to walk away than still being there? Only listening, only hearing. It's half the task. Imagine going into a restaurant, reading the menu, and then walking out, not ordering, not eating. What's the point? Not very different. Reading the Word, not applying it. In encountering God's Word, we're supposed to act on what we see. Like I said, not difficult to grasp. Difficult to put in practice. Not difficult to grasp. Let me give you an example. Try and be honest here. As regularly as I can, I try and sit with God's Word and read and pray and ask God to speak to me, right? Lately, I've been really struck on just how important kindness is. I've been struck by the kindness of God. And as I've been reading Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, what is love? What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, kindness. And God, through His Spirit, just has been hitting me with that word, kindness. See, when I'm reading the word in the quiet, I'm inviting God to speak. I'm inviting him. I'm giving him permission to hold up a mirror to my life. All right, Dave, let's do this together. Okay, kindness. Where could you apply this? Where could you be more kind? Where have you not been kind? Where can you apply kindness in your life? And at the same time, as gospel-focused Christians, we're applying the gospel, right? Why do I do that? Because I remember how kind God's been to me, right? I, I remember how kind Christ is daily in dispensing his saving and transforming grace. He doesn't owe me that. It's a free gift. He does it because our God is the very definition of grace and kindness. But now it's up to me to put that into practice. This is getting rid of the junk, applying the word of God. Because the truth is, Sometimes kindness can be pretty absent from my life. Sometimes I can be quite critical, actually. And let me say, being critical is not a fruit of the Spirit. I think it maybe could be the opposite. You know, maybe you're like me and I, my personality tends to kind of go this way. I see the things that could be changed. You know, these are out of place. These, these, this could be improved if we just... With a little more effort, things could really change. Now, that can be great. We need those people. That can be very positive. But I tell you what, being very critical often, I don't think it's helpful. It doesn't produce goodness in my life a lot, especially at home with the kids and with my wife. You see, being constantly critical, I think, tears down. But kindness builds up. Okay, so the mirror's been held up to my life. Now, wh what am I to do? You know, what happens if I go home and the, the minute I walk through the door, right, here we go. And I put my critical spirit into action. What have I done? I ignore all that God's shown me by his grace in the morning. And I continue in the junk of negative, tearing down criticism. What am I doing? It's like looking in the mirror walking away, forgetting what I look like. You see, we're all challenged to look intently into the word and humbly accept it. 
submitting to the surgeon's scalpel. Because, hold on, this is unexpected. It brings freedom and blessing. Verse 25, but whoever looks intently to the perfect law that gives freedom, that is God's word, and continues it and not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they'll be blessed in what they do. What? We're almost done here. I think this goes part of the way maybe in understanding just why the church can be full of hypocrisy sometimes. Because we love the idea of being saved by grace. Love it. But when it comes to trusting God knows best for the way we're supposed to live, oh, not as excited. So we do, we, we just kind of believe the lie that we know best. We're accomplished people. We know best. Love the saved by grace thing, but Lord of my life, oh, we just, we believe the lie that fully submitting to God would be a restraint. I think I'd be missing out. Oh, that is a lie. What does James say? No, 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 no. It's freedom and blessing. Humbly accept the word planted in you, James says. Taking my example, right? Talking about kindness. Do you think bringing more kindness into my life would give freedom and blessing? Of course it would. In my marriage, in my parenting, in my relationships, in every area. Humbly accept the word. God plants in you, James says. Now, friends, let's finish up. We've got to remember, none of us are perfect, right? None of us are perfect. None of us will always get it right, of course. But can we lead the way in humility? Can we lead the way in repentance? Can we lead the way in grace? Oh, man, you imagine a church known for its humility, known for its repentance, known for it dispensing grace. Wow. That would be powerful. And we can do it. We can do it. Do you know why? Because we worship an incredible God. We worship an incredible Savior. We worship the incredible Jesus Christ because he is the very definition of kindness and humility. A man in whom there was not a hint of abuse, not a hint of hypocrisy, who did what he said he would do. He did his father's will to the end. Even though it meant suffering, persecution, abandonment from everyone he knew, death upon a cross, he did it. A man who knew that in our weakness, no matter what we do, we could never make our way to God on our own. So what did he do? He came down to us. You will find that nowhere else. This is the God that we worship. And he promises for all those who will receive it, a new heart. He promises to give you a new heart. One that desires him. One that would seek to love him, that would seek to love others. And when we fail at this, because we will, he will be there because he's promised to hear our prayers. He's promised to forgive us. He's promised to restore us. That is our great God. He's promised to strengthen us. He's promised to empower us to be doers of the word. Well, church, 
Let's pray, eh? Heavenly Father, help us to be doers of the word. Lord, I think it starts with humility. I think it starts with self-awareness. I think it starts with repentance. I think it starts with looking in the mirror. God, where in our lives do we need to apply this right now? Please don't overwhelm us because there's probably a lot. But by your graciousness, by your kindness, would you just start mercifully with something small? We want to grow. We invite you to examine us. Show us where we can change. And we know that in changing and seeking to change, we're not on our own. We have each other. We have your spirit. We have your abiding presence. Make that real to us, more real than it's ever been. In Jesus' name, amen.